Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone. And uh, so as Sarah said, today we're looking at the generosity of God. And uh, the whole series really is looking at the power of a generous heart. Um, and hence the, the, the term G-force, if you like. It's the, it's the force of generosity uh, in our world. And uh, according to the Forbes Rich List, the richest uh, person, the richest man on the planet is Bill Gates uh, with a net worth of $75 billion, okay? mainly through his Microsoft business, $75 billion. Okay, So a million is quite a lot, isn't it? If you had a million pounds, a million dollars, that would be a lot. A thousand of those is only one billion. 75,000 sets of a million. That, that, is, that is a lot of money. In fact, the, the interest alone on it would earn him about $100 a second. So if he saw a $100 note on the ground, it would take him, it'd take him, it'd be more effort to pick it up than he would, he'd have earned it quicker than it would take him to pick up that, that $100 note just on the interest alone. Um, it is a crazy amount of money. In fact, if Bill Gates was a country, he would be the 37th richest country in the world. Um, if he lives, you know, let's hope he does, till he's even 90 years old, he'd have to spend $6 million every single day to, um, to get rid of it in that time, to exhaust his wealth. Now, how would you even do that? It'd be quite nice to try, wouldn't it? $6 million a day, let's see what we could do with that. But um, if he gave everybody on the planet a tenner, okay, everybody a tenner, he'd still have five billion left. Okay, not five million, five billion. Um, it's an incredible amount of money. Not only is he the wealthiest person on the planet, he's also one of the most generous people on the planet. And uh, he and his wife have actually given away, I think, around $30 billion uh, to charities and the various organizations. They mainly give to uh, one they founded themselves, which is set up to eradicate diseases uh, by vaccinations uh, across the third world. Incredibly generous uh, in many, many ways. Um, and yet, when we compare it to the generosity of God, it doesn't come close. Okay? It is something completely different. It's incomparable, um, as was uh, described there. And of all the, the organizations and of all the people that Bill Gates and his wife have given to, there's one that I don't think he has given to. Apple. <laughs> right? Now, that's, he's, he's apparently pretty ruthless in business. Okay? That's probably where he, how he got to where he got to. Pretty ruthless in all of that. And Apple, his main competitor, his enemy, if you like, he is unlikely to ever give one dollar to in that situation. Now, you might have biblical reasons for that. We know that the apple has been a source of temptation in the garden since the Garden of Eden. Um, so anyway, but, but God's generosity extends to us when we were his enemies. Okay, Romans 5, verse 10. When we were his enemies, when we were deserving of wrath, when we were in rebellion against God, it is a wholly different generosity that God has. And God's generosity is all the way through the scriptures. Every page, it's in there somewhere. Um, and yet, so I've spent more time, I think, scouring for a passage to use today. Which one should I use than I probably spent in putting the talk together? Which is where I finally came to this passage in Ephesians 2, which tries to encapsulate the different dimensions of God's generosity uh, to us, um, the unmeasurable dimensions to it. So first of all, I just want to simply lay out 
the words of the passage, just so that we can see them again. Because it's, it's one of these, these passages of Paul's that just kind of, it's almost breathless. And the, the words that come out of it, there's so much in there. So let me kind of lay out um, Ephesians 2 um, and these passages, these verses for us. First of all, it tells us that we were dead. We were spiritually dead. We were disconnected from God. We were estranged from all of his goodness and all of his life, spiritually separated and spiritually dead in our transgressions. Because we've crossed boundaries we shouldn't have crossed. We've stepped into situations we shouldn't have stepped into in our lives. Um, and our sins, the thoughts that we have, the, the words that we say, the actions that we've done, the attitudes that are out of kilter with God's design have caused us to be separated from him. And he says that we used to live in those. This is, this is a reality for each one of us. Um, when we followed the ways of this world, it surrounds us, it's everywhere. And so it starts to feel normal, but it is everywhere around us. As we followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, um, this disobedience, Disobedient spirit, disobedience in our hearts. And he goes on and he says, it's all of us. You don't get out of this. Every single one of us um, lived among them, um, lived this way at that, that one time, gratifying our sinful cravings um, that are at work in all of us, following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, he says, by, we were by nature. Okay? It was something that is so deep in us. It's right at the core, right at the fabric of our being. We were by nature objects of wrath, deserving of wrath, guilty as charged, enemies of God in all of that. And then this amazing word, but. Okay, and uh, we know one day somebody's going to write the book, which is all the buts of the Bible, or the big buts of the Bible. Okay, this has got to be one of the biggest buts in the Bible. Okay, but because, he says, this is a huge but. This was the reality. But now, he says this, because of his great love, his great, great love for us, this God who is rich in mercy has made us alive. He's made us alive. He's changed the situation. He's made us alive with Christ. He's done something in raising Christ up. He raises us up as well. Even though we were dead in our transgressions, he says, it is by grace that we've been saved. These incomparable riches of his grace. Uh, verse 6, it goes on and says he's raised us up with Christ. Now, we can't get our heads around this. He's raised us up with Christ. He has seated us at the top table with him. Okay? He's placed us in the same position that he's placed Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. And uh, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. And it's expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And on uh, all of this is a gift, verse 8. It's the gift of God to us. And he actually goes on to verse 10, and he says, actually, we're, we're made in God's, we're made with God's workmanship. We're his handiwork. We've been created for good works. He has purpose for us. His generosity even goes on. It's not just that we're rescued, but he's got purposes for us and has given us every spiritual blessing that there is. And so this passage is bursting with the lavish generosity of God um, of the Bible. And the truth is, as I've been trying to prepare for this, is that we can't really even glimpse what God's generosity is really like. I can't give justice to what his generosity is like. Um, and uh, hence, we need to let the, the words themselves kind of speak um, God's revelation um, into our hearts. But I want to try and scratch a little bit deeper into this, this treasure field 
um, of Ephesians 2 this morning. And uh, first of all, this word incomparable, okay, or immeasurable. You know, this is, his generosity comes out of the limitlessness of God, that God is limitless in who he is and all he has. And as, as human beings, we've got very limited minds. So we can't quite grasp a limitless God because it's different to what we are. It is incomparable. I have nothing that I can compare it to. Okay? It is measureless. Um, it is above all. It is outside of all. It is beyond all. Um, more than we can ask. More than we can even imagine, um, say the Scriptures. And for God, even time is limitless. Time doesn't pass for God. It remains. Um, for those who are in Christ, and we share with Him the riches of that, the limitlessness of time, the everlastingness of years. We have all of that forever. Okay, we forget that in this world. Okay, we forget that actually we're no longer limited by time. We have life eternal. We have life forever. And uh, for those who are out of Christ, time becomes a devouring beast because you have to fill this life with absolutely everything because this is all you have. But actually the reality is that we're beyond that, we're outside of that. Such is the limitlessness of God. He gives us life, and He gives us life that is everlasting. Verse 5, He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. And so it's Jesus that is the channel through whom He pours His generosity. So He's a generous God, but He chooses to pour it through Jesus Christ. And uh, His limitless generosity comes through that. So where sin increases... He says grace increases all the more. He cannot be outdone by it. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, abounding sin is the terror of the world, but abounding grace is the hope of mankind. Against our deep creature sickness stands God's infinite ability to cure. His love is measureless. It is more than that. It is boundless. So that's the first aspect through which his uh, generosity flows. The second aspect that flows is it flows in his generosity, through his generosity, from his generosity is his faithfulness. And uh, verse 4 and 5 talks of his great love for us even when. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were disobedient. Even when we were living in rebellion to him. And so throughout the Bible, we read of a God who is faithful he will never remove his loving kindness from his, from his people. Okay? It's a covenant relationship. It's not a mood he's in. It's a covenant promise that he has. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Even when, and we say, but, but what about this? He says, even when. But what about when I did that and when I do this and when I think that? Even when, he says, even when is the generosity of God that comes from his faithfulness. He will remain faithful to you even when, whatever. The third word that is in here is, is about the goodness of God uh, or the kindness of God, um, verse 6 and 7. And it's expressed to us in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And it's an attribute of God that disposes God to be kind. It, it means He's always good. He's always cordial. He is always full of goodwill towards human beings. He's tender-hearted towards us. He just wants to bless people. 
Okay, that is his nature. That is his, his heart. That's his, his leaning in every way. Um, it's, it's unmerited. It is spontaneous. Um, it's the goodness of God that is behind all and is underneath everything that he is about and all that he does. Uh, the psalmist writes this. He says, He makes his sun to shine on the evil as well as the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Okay, his disposition is for people. And uh, he's just like Jesus. You want to look at God, you look at how Jesus was towards people. To the frightened, he was friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the struggling, he's affirming and encouraging. To the ignorant, he's considerate. To the weak, he's gentle. To the stranger, he's hospitable. He is good. His generosity is expressed through his kindness. And it flows from his goodness, which is the absolute goodness of God. The fourth uh, aspect that we see here is that the God who is rich in mercy, okay, his, his generosity pours and pours and pours through his mercy. And his mercy is his infinite and inexhaustible energy that, that is within God to be actively compassionate, okay, to express that compassion to people. Okay, unlike me, it's a temporary mood, okay? With God, it's an, it's an attribute of his eternal being. His mercy is, is again, it's who he is. Um, and maybe, you know, in your life, you've called to God for mercy. Often people spend their whole lives asking God for mercy, asking God for forgiveness. You know, if only God would forgive, if only God would show mercy. And it's like they never receive it. They spend their whole lives on it. And it, we need to know that God is merciful. Okay, God is merciful. He, he, he pours out mercy by his nature. He wasn't just merciful to people in the past like Noah and his family or Abraham or David or any of those characters. He's not just going to be merciful in the future, but his mercy is boundless. It is limitless and it's free through Jesus. And it's available to you and to me now in our situation, our present situation, if we believe. And it's not about being presumptive about it, but it is uh, about believing that God is merciful. And if he's merciful, he's full of mercy. And he's got that limitless fullness to his mercy. And if we don't receive that, if we just keep asking and never receive it in our hearts and in our lives, somebody said it's a little bit like someone starving to death outside the banquet hall that they've been invited into. And they're just like, well, I can't go in. I can't receive this. I'm, I'm just going to starve to death outside. When actually everything is there for us to receive. He is generous with it to deal with our misery and with our guilt if we receive it through Jesus. Hebrews 4 verse 10, let us approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that leads us nicely onto our fifth attribute, the grace of God. The incomparable riches of His grace. The grace of God is, is surely the, the heart of God's generosity. Um, or how we understand the generosity of God. And we, and we struggle to even understand this. So whereas mercy deals with um, our, uh, our misery and our guilt, um, grace deals with the debts that we owe and the, the merit that God gives to us freely. Um, it talks about God's grace in, in, you know, imputing merit to us, something we don't deserve, bestowing benefits that we don't deserve into our lives. So it forgives us, but it also 
gives us something freely. He clothes us in righteousness that we don't deserve. He swaps our rags of, of rubbish for clothes of righteousness. Okay? It's not deserved. It's freely offered. It's freely given. You know, when, many of us will know the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And uh, the prodigal son goes off and he squanders all his father's wealth in wild living. But when he turns back to God, his, his, his father runs to him. He, he runs to him um, to welcome him. He, he not only celebrates but he, with a great, great party, but he gives him the best robe, the best robe to wear, new clothes in all of that. And not only that, but he gives him his signet ring. Okay? He gives him his signet ring on his finger. The son who wasted his money, he now says, I want you to be a partner in the family business. Okay? I want you to be a partner in the family business. So it's not just that he forgives, but he does something else. He gives things that we just absolutely don't deserve. You know, how powerfully generous is that? And that's what God does for you and I. Okay, that's His grace towards us. And the grace of God starts far, far back in the heart of God. You know, right deep in His being. And the channel of it, we're told, flows through out to us uh, in Jesus, who was crucified and risen. As John uh, puts it in his gospel, you know, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. They come through Jesus Christ. And it's the grace of God, really, that separates Christianity from every other religion and every other religious system that is in the world. It's this bit that makes it so unique. Freely imparted righteousness, freely given, paid for by the death of Jesus on the cross, who freely gave his life and took in his body the horrors of our sin, the horrors of our wrongdoing in all of that. Uh, in a way that Isaiah says was, he was disfigured beyond that of any man beyond that of any human being, of the horror of what he took um, for each one of us, but then defeated death through resurrection. And the question is, why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. His great love for us. He simply loves people. God loves people. He didn't need us, but he made us and invites us to the table because he loves people. He has an inexhaustible passion to bless people. And to rescue people from spiritual death and bring them into spiritual life. And to bring them into that eternal, limitless life that he has. He loves you. He loves me just because he does. Um, I think I've been trying to grapple with this a little bit. And there's a few passages in the scripture that actually say we will struggle with jealousy when we kind of really get at the grips of God's generosity. And uh, so there's passages, for example, in the parable of the vineyard workers, where God's in Matthew 20, and he, he pays all the workers. Some of them work for 12 hours, and he pays them for the day, which is fair. Um, but some just come at the very end, or midway through the day, and they just do an hour's work at the end of the day. And he pays them exactly the same. And everyone else is thinking, that's not fair. No, no, that's, there's, a, there's a jealousy there. And, uh, and it says, you know, are you jealous because I'm a generous God? And when we really start to see it, we'll start to see actually how generous it is. It's so different, his generosity, to what we're like. Um, the prodigal son, again, the story in there, you'll see the story of the other son. When he sees the father's generosity and his welcome and his party and he gives him the signet ring and, and all of that, 
he's jealous. He can't handle the generosity of God because it doesn't seem fair. It just is beyond kind of human kind of understanding. Um, has anyone seen or watched the Amadeus? You know, you know the, the story of uh, Mozart? Brilliant film. We watched it as N- on the NT Live theater thing. Fantastic story. And in there, this guy is a rowdy upstart. As, um, there's a, a Salieri, what's his name? Salieri, Antonio Salieri, the court composer, who has always been good in his life. He's always wanted to serve God. He's always wanted to have the music of God and all the rest of it. And then this kid comes along. This upstart comes along. He calls him the giggling, dirty-minded creature that I've just seen crawling on the floor. Okay? And yet, he recognizes in him that God has gifted him with something astounding, the ability to produce music. And he, doesn't, he just says that he's not deserving of it. I was deserving of it. He's not deserving of it. And it's, it's the whole thing is really this struggle because he's seized by an obsessive jealousy and just begins a war against Mozart and against music and ultimately uh, against God. And there's something of that, I think, when we understand how generous God is. But we often sit there and we think, well, I'm like the, the Salieri, you know, I'm deserving of it. But actually, we're like the, the Amadeus Mozart. We're, the, we're the, the upstarts, really. And God has just generously graced someone with something they didn't deserve. And we see it so clearly there. And we almost think, that is not fair. But that is the generosity of God. That's the grace of God that He pours into our hearts and our lives. Um, I remember a guy um, one kind of Easter weekend, um, a friend of mine, and he went up the hills and he was just trying to think about what, does, what was God thinking? What was Jesus thinking on the cross? And he said as he was reflecting on it and as he was thinking about it, he, he sensed God really say to him, um, this guy called David, he said, David, what I was thinking about on the cross was you. It was you. And he just had that profound revelation of how much God loves him. That he was on that cross, and the thing that kept him up there was, was, was you. It was me. He saw you. That's how much love he has for each one of us. It is a, all of it, he says, is a free gift. Verse 8. What a gift that he gives to us. And uh, as I say, his generosity goes on. And uh, he, he says we're his workmanship. We've been recreated in Christ Jesus to do good things. He's prepared us. He's equipped us. He empowers us. He calls us to the family business and, uh, and lets us be part of that. And so we see the generosity of the Father in that he sends his only Son. He sends God the Son to us. We see the generosity of the Son who, who willingly gives his own life for us so that we may be made righteous and inherit eternal life. We see generosity beyond that as, as God sends His Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And uh, the Spirit comes to gift us and to empower us and to enable us to live life to all its fullness. And beyond that, God's generosity will continue. Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those uh, who love Him. And so our response can only be thanks and uh, gratitude. Now, let me finish with a, a story. This was a, a guy in New Zealand, a guy called Mike Riddell. Um, and he took out the old Three Billy Goats gruff and uh, put a twist on it. It's called the Holy Ghost's Bluff. Okay, here we go. 
My New Zealand accent's not very good, so I'm not going to try. Once above all time, there lived the triune God, blessed be three. God lived in a field of dreams where love grew wild. On one side of the field, there was a chasm, deep and dark and dangerous. And beyond the chasm lay the real world with mosquitoes and boiled cabbage. In the real world, hair stuck to lollipops and everyone was bored and hateful. The real world had once been part of the field of dreams, but for some stupid reason, it had broken off. Between the real world and the field of dreams was a rickety split bridge. Nobody used it because of the terror. The terror lived under the rickety split bridge, somewhere deep down in the dank, dark chasm. And instead of eating normal stuff like cold spaghetti sandwiches, the terror would feed on other people's lives. It would suck the life out of anything that had it, but never seemed to get full. Whenever anyone tried to escape from the real world to the field of dreams, the terror would jump up out of the chasm onto the bridge and stand there dripping slime and spew, and it would chant a little ditty to whoever was trying to cross the bridge. Welcome, Pharaoh, please come nearer. I am terror. Then the terror would gobble and slobber and suck the life from the traveler before leaping back into the chasm with a terrible laugh. So it was that no one ever came to the field of dreams, and God was lonely. Sometimes God would lie amongst the wild love, looking across the chasm to the real world and feeling sad. All the people looked so miserable, and nothing ever grew properly over there. The sadness of the place ached in God's heart like a sore tummy. So one day, there weren't any days really, but who cares, God called a meeting. The one true God was all there, God the maker and God the dancer and God the Holy Ghost. And after a few eons and several cups of coffee, it was settled, a plan. The very next century, God the maker climbed a small hill which looked down on the rickety split bridge and watched. There below was God the Holy Ghost spooking up to the edge of the chasm. Straight away, the terror jumped up to the middle of the bridge and sang, Welcome, Pharaoh, please come nearer, I am terror. The Holy Ghost sang back in a voice which melted icebergs. Hi there, terror, excuse my stare if I may share a viewpoint here. You look queer, a little care with what you wear and some repair to your hair might ease the scare, but don't despair. Your ugly leer and lack of flair will not impair my purpose here. I bring a dare for you to hear. If you declare that you'll forbear your vile career, then I will steer a victim near for you to snare, whose life, I swear, will give you fare beyond compare for many a year. The terror growled and patted his hungry tummy, which growled back. Of course, he was not going to give up eating victims on the bridge, but how would the spook know that? After trying to think it all through, the terror gave up and simply replied, Okay, bub, bring on the grub. So God, the Holy Ghost, sloped off back to the field of dreams and had a word in the ear of God the dancer. Shortly afterward, the dancer jived up to the rickety split bridge. The terror didn't even go into his little jingle. It leapt straight in front of the dancer and began to gobble and slobber. Then the terror sunk its talons into, the, into God the dancer and began to suck out the life. Back on the low hill, God the maker and God the Holy Ghost were watching. The terror sucked and sucked. This was a particularly juicy life. And the dancer didn't spoil it at all by struggling. Eventually, the terror began for the first time ever to get a full tummy. But the life was still coming, so on and on it sucked. Then the terror's stomach grew round and sore, but the life kept coming. This was very strange. How could one little life be so big? 
The terror sucked and grew and sucked and grew. It couldn't bear to stop sucking where the li- while the life was still there. Suddenly, there was a big, farty explosion, and the terror disappeared. Small bits of yucky, pink, slimy stuff flew through the air. But the dancer was still there, still alive. God the Maker and God the Holy Ghost laughed until they stopped. What the terror didn't know, whispered the ghost, was that the life we have doesn't have an end. Meanwhile, the dancer had already rock and rolled across the rickety split bridge into the real world. The one true God had unanimously decided to go and live in the real world for a while until it became the field of dreams. In a back pocket, the ghost had brought a whole heap of wild love seeds for planting in the new place. So keep your eyes open. If you see a dancer dancing or a maker making or a ghost planting seeds, it could just be the one true God. And your little piece of the real world might be about to become the field of dreams. And uh, there's something in that story which just gets the limitlessness of God, the generosity of God. And really, we want to set a challenge each week and uh, as we go through this generosity series. And our challenge really this week is God has been so incredibly generous to us. And just as you go into the world and as you go into your week, start to notice just the common graces, you know, the, the color of our world, the music of our world, the beauty of our world, the flavor of our world. You know, we've got taste buds. We've got laughter. We've got sun. We've got rain. We've got provision. Just recognize and tune into God's generosity. But also remember the, the special grace we have in Jesus. Look through this passage and just turn that into praise to Him. Let's pray together. As, uh, as Paul writes in 118, he says, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be opened. And Lord, we pray that this morning. You would open the eyes of our hearts. Open the deep eyes of our hearts to your grace and mercy and generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.